Thanks for tuning us in on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season this Wednesday, February the 9th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Matthew chapter 15. Today we will cover one of the stranger stories, I would say, of our Lord Jesus, is that you have the Canaanite woman who is seeking help, and, and, and Jesus calls her literally a dog. But is that the main point of the story? It's not a nice, fluffy puppy, if you will, but also we have to ask the question is, do we focus on that one word, or is there more to it than what we are hearing today? What is the point of this text, and how will we look to Christ in the proper way? We'll do it all today. Let's dig in. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Today, this morning, helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome regular guest, Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Edwardsville, Illinois. I don't think he's there yet, but we will get him at some point. And so we will look at our text this morning. And a reminder this morning, one of the great things about uh, technology is that it works great. When it doesn't work, it's not so great. But once again, we are always go back to the basics of what we're doing here on KFUO, which is the Word of God, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. So I invite our guest, um, we invite our guest to come on, but we are looking at Matthew chapter 15. I'm a little bit flustered this morning, so bear with me. Matthew chapter 15 is our text as we look at Holy Scripture. We are starting in verse 21. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions for us this morning, send us an email, kfuo at kfu.org, or send us an e- or call us, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Or if you just wanted to call and chat for a little bit, you probably could get it done this morning. So it's a joy to be together in God's Word. So today, I'm kind of interested to hear what's happening for you. Up here in Minnesota, it is uh, actually 30 degrees, so we're feeling, feeling pretty good about everything. And as we look at look at our lives, um, it also is getting close to Lent. We're getting prepared for that. We are uh, at the same time looking during the Epiphany season, looking forward to this Sunday where we have Jesus preaching on the plain as we are looking to Jesus, our, uh, St. Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about, in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead. And we also look at Jeremiah, who is the one that tells us, do not trust in man above God. So that's a little precursor as we're looking at this next week. But today we're looking at Matthew chapter 15. And what happened prior to our text in chapter 15 is that you have Jesus speaking about what defiles a person. And this is quite interesting, especially when you look at the traditions and commandments that we just studied yesterday. That when we look at this with Pastor Lekomsky, our real focus was the question of what does defile? Because often in our culture, we will talk as if the heart is what you know causes us to uh, make good decisions. So you hear this quite often. You'll say, hey, um, I, I, I feel in my heart I need to do this. Or my heart is telling me to go there. Now, in Scripture, when it speaks about the heart, it speaks about often faith. And this will makes it even more kind of uh, um, questionable because we can sometimes say, what's on my heart is what God is telling me to do, which is not always helpful either. So what is beautiful about the language is that it speaks right before our time about how the heart comes out of the heart is uh, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander, which reminds us that if we trust in our heart, especially outside of Christ, then we'll get nowhere. And today we are brought into a story of a woman of the most unlikely sort that would point us to what comes from the heart in faith, what she says, and also kind of dig in a little bit on what Jesus is saying as well. So, but I understand that we have Pastor Shank with us. Uh, is that true? Pastor, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, it's here, but uh, uh, we're here. We're here. Yeah, you know what? I'm having problems on my end too. You know what? But we're here together in God's word. So thanks be to God for that. So Pastor, what's going on for you, your family? and the work of the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church and School. 
Well, uh, at the and we are trying to continue to have everything. That we keep going, going. Yeah. So we have, we have, dealing with all the lovely, lovely endemic stuff. But uh, in our way to all that, all that, in person learning. We've been in person if we want to make it all that. But, you know. Uh, if you heard anything about Illinois, Illinois, there's been a lot of well, lawsuits lately and legal, legal, legal guidelines, guidelines, all the rest. But we're very thankful that our parents, our parents understanding and understanding our prayer to keep teaching these children the love of the love of Christ. Well, thanks be to God for that. So, Pastor, as we are looking at our text today, um, can you begin our time in prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Father, and of the Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, yeah, Father, yeah, I know the Holy Word, you were it, it ain't not what comes into us, but what comes out of the heart, the heart that defiles the wild. You would thought that that's the Lord's praying. Help us to cling to your promises so that as an aspect, your son, as Lord, we may reveal that you have called us all to faith, that you have called us to such great faith to cling always to the promises. And in him there is such a lavish grace that we are all satisfied. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Reminder to listeners, like I just said, if you want to uh, have a question for us throughout Matthew, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. So, Pastor, as we are looking at this, I think I'm going to try to do this, and this is good for Dan, um, our uh, our board guy. Can we go to a short break, try to fix one little issue that we're having and come right back? Is that okay, Dan? And welcome back. Pastor Shank, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) A lot of fun. For you, our listeners, we appreciate the patience. It's one of those situations where you do something with Google Chrome, it doesn't work. Then you go to the Firefox and it kind of works. And then you're trying to get a hold of Pastor Shank. That doesn't work. Right now, we are just living with a patient life. This is ministry. What do you think, Pastor? We're going to make it work. There's a bit of an echo, but we're going to do it. We're going to push through, right? We're going to survive. We're going to survive. So I think that's what we're going to live with right now. So, Pastor, we are in Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read um, our verses, which is Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. I'll read that and then get your introductory thoughts as we begin our time. So a uh, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version from Holy Scripture, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that have fallen from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Pastor, I would say this is one of the more stranger stories um, throughout the Gospels. One of those that many people uh, ask a lot of questions. Young people will ask, older people will ask, what is Jesus saying? How do you want to begin so that we are looking at the text correctly, context, background, or any way you want to start us off? Sure. I think it is It is right that when you said strange, um, it is strange. It's not expect, We don't expect Jesus to say words like this. Um, we don't expect him to react like this. This is Maybe not fitting what our expectations are, um, but maybe that maybe that's the right place to look at the text, and maybe that's the right way to be reminded to set aside our expectations so that we can actually receive more 
our expectations are so low of what uh, who our Lord is and what He has come to do, and He comes to far exceed those expectations, but in in shocking, unexpected ways. So, um, yes, He He is. Uh, we've got we've got a text that teaches us on prayer uh, and the nature of prayer. It's a text that teaches us of nature of who Jesus is and what He has come to do. It's a, it's a text of the history and the purpose of God's salvation through his people, which then is for all people. So it is a, it is a rich text. Yes, it, it has a, a lot to say to us. All right. Well, let's just get into the text then. Let's just uh, start looking at what uh, our context is. So Jesus was and the region of Tyre and Sidon. So now he is leaving uh, the primarily Israelite area and going away, going to a Gentile area. We have to understand the context. He had just had this interaction um, with the Pharisees who had um, accused Jesus and his disciples of not keeping with the traditions of washing their hands before they ate. And so he confronts them about the traditions, how they have a, an interesting way of trying to keep the traditions of man but in doing so, they reject the tradition, the truth of God's word, right? How they um, honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And then privately with his disciples, he teaches them about the reality of what, may, what truly defiles a person. Is it, are they defiled because of their unwashed hands? Or is our true defilement something more? Our unwashed heart. And brothers and sisters, we need a washed, we need a washed heart. We need a baptized, cleansed heart. And then we lead into our text. So he's leaving this behind because um, this uh, apparent uh, opposition, and now he's kind of getting a reprieve from all that, going to this Canaanite area of Tyre and Sidon. And if we think about Tyre and Sidon, um, we might be reminded that this is the area of uh, Jezebel, right, a Syrophoenician area. And uh, it's also a place where Elijah went with uh, to Zarephath when he was sent and he was kept uh, in the widow's house. Um, so we, we are reminded of that too. And so as we come into this area, and now we are met with a Canaanite woman, and her first words are, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is very severely oppressed by a demon. Great segue. I tell you what, Pastor Shank knows what he is doing on the radio. He just ran right into it without missing a beat. I love what you're, you're pointing us to, Tyre and Sidon. Um, and I want, I want to ask this, too. It's interesting. When you look at, I would encourage our listeners to look at the map. Um, and if you have the Lutheran Study Bible, it's right in the front of Tyre and Sidon. And like you said, Pastor, there's an interesting connection to the Old Testament even. Tell us more about that, the Elijah connection. Can you tell us that again? Sure. So Elijah, during that three and a half years of uh, famine in the land, who was sent up to a widow in Zarephath and Sidon. And that's where he went and uh, she was... Uh, gathering some twigs, this widow, uh, to make uh, one last uh, uh, cake of, of flour uh, to feed her and her son, and then they would die. And uh, that's what she said, of course. Of course, uh, God in his mercy, he um, brings Elijah there, and he calls to her uh, to make her, make him a cake first, and then and then make one for themselves, and that the flour and the and the oil uh, would not run out until God had sent rain. And that would be the case. God's mercy was extended to them, and maybe, uh, maybe that is something that this Canaanite woman um, heard about. And uh, or going back to Genesis, uh, going back to. Uh, the promise of, of Abraham, that God calls Abraham, and he would be, up, you know, through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. She's obviously clinging to promises that she has heard of, uh, and, and maybe just clinging 
that if he's going to have any hope, God must be the God of mercy. God must be mercy. If he's going to have any hope, and that's what he calls out, right? Uh, Lord, son of David, so she knows something about him, that he is the true son of David, the king, the Messiah. Have mercy, right? Have mercy. Uh, so she is clinging to uh, the identity of God being mercy. And and this is it's very helpful to, because th- that does bring up the question, first of all, that, that these were, pagan cities. These were not ones who were um, of the sheep of Israel. They'd probably been called unclean, Gentile area. This is, goes back to the, the Canaanites that in Deuteronomy 20, that it's like, okay, get rid of these folks when you go into the promised land. So this was not a likely place that you would have, I guess you say, faithful people come. But she says faithful words. I mean, even Jesus in Luke chapter 10 says, if mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. So it really was not a, a bastion of evangelism. It was not a place where there was a lot of this. So this story right away begins with, one, the confusion of, why would a Canaanite woman be coming to Jesus? Secondly, how does she have this faith to be able to boldly con- confess not only that it's a son of David, but also that she needs mercy from this guy? Um, so it really is strikes you right away. And also the word verse 22, behold means look, just like it says, um, when the Magi showed up in Matthew chapter two. So right away, it almost like perks all the ears of the Jewish listeners who are, who are reading this or hearing this for the first time. Any thoughts on that? The, the unlikeliness of this story so far? Yeah. And I, I think that helps us to understand the whole nature of the gospel as we talked about at the very beginning. The whole nature of the gospel is an unlikely, unexpected story of our salvation, starting with the birth of Christ, starting with the grace of our God, starting with his love for us, starting with, you know, all of this is so unlikely. It's so unexpected, but then that starts to reveal to us who God really is. He is the God of all mercy. He is the God of all grace. He is love for us. And we see that love so perfectly in such an unlikely reality that he would send his son, his only son, to die for us. And he lifts up his son and draws all of us to him. So it is in that drawing to him that we see, and in Mark's gospel, the centurion proclaim, truly this was the son of God, right? So we um, are taught throughout scripture, it is only the working of the father that we are brought to see who Jesus really is. And we'll get that next chapter with Matthew 16 with Peter. You know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's also true for this Canaanite woman. It was also true for the centurion whom you have uh, read before in chapter 8. It's also true of the Magi. It is God's drawing and it is God's revealing that opens our eyes to see the unlikely, the unexpected, which is that he is salvation for us. And this is why when, when, we, when we see this, he also uses, uh, she, she also uses words that we hear quite often in the church. And the more I studied this, this is why I want to study even further, but have mercy on me, O Lord, is very important language in the New Testament that connects to our time of worship now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The importance of saying, Lord, have mercy. The, the, the Kyrie eleison, right? We, have, we say this all the time in all of our worship. You know, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Um, and we're not saying it in such a, like a, you know, I'm just wishing on a shooting star. You know, I'm going to look for a four-leaf clover. I'm hoping. No, we are saying it as boldly as this Canaanite woman says it, right? She's not saying it that she doesn't, uh, she doesn't believe that God is mercy. She knows God is mercy. The Messiah, the son of David, is mercy incarnate. Therefore, when she says, Lord, have mercy, she's holding on to that. She's got a hold of, you know, that teaches us about prayer, right? She's got a hold of the promises of God and she ain't letting go. You are mercy. And so when we come in and we say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, we're not ending that being like, maybe, 
You know, there's no maybe. He is. He is mercy. Um, and he has revealed that mercy to us in his son. So there is such a boldness. And, and often, you know, we, you, know we, you asked about connections to the Old Testament. Often the text is read with, um, in a lectionary series, with um, the, you know, Jacob wrestling with God. And so it does make that connection. She is wrestling, <laughs> wrestling with the Lord here, wrestling by holding on to his promises. And by the end, we see that he was right to do so. And that's what, for me, makes that portion of the Kyrie so important for us as Christians is that we literally are coming like this Canaanite woman um, to say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Which is why I encourage you, our listeners, to when you, when you do, do go, go through that part of the worship service, to really focus in that you are like the Canaanite woman, the most unlikely of people to believe in the Lord Jesus but yet the Lord has chosen you, but yet we still need help. You know, like we'll say, help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. When we do this, um, this, this Lord have mercy and how powerful that is. At the same time, the people surround you, they need mercy as well. So it is really fascinating to be able to see that connection. And throughout Matthew, it happens really all the time. Two blind men by the road, by Jericho in Matthew 20, boom, they say, Lord, have mercy on us. The father seeking uh, his son who is epilepsy. Boom, you know, chapter 17, have mercy on me. It is the words of the faithful who say this. So, Pastor, we have about a minute left before our break. Any last thoughts on our verses so far? Yeah, yeah. I would continue on that vein that, you know, when we are learning about prayer, when God has promised something, his son is mercy. Now, the greatness of that mercy has to be understood in an eternal salvation, that that is the mercy that our hearts seek after, right? Not just the changes of our current circumstances. Our current circumstances may be great, and I'm not trying to downplay that, and the hurts and the struggle, the crosses that must be borne, but the greatest mercy that we have is that we have a blessedness, a state of being that's greater than our current circumstance that we live in and by the mercy of our God, which will bring us even through the death itself to the glories of the resurrection, which are to come. About that, as we go on the other side of our break, we are studying Matthew chapter 15 with Pastor John Schenk, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 15 with Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Edwardsville, Illinois. And Pastor, as you really brought us back so, so wonderfully before our break, it, 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 it just shows us our relationship with Christ, one that he wants us to come to him, um, and, and we know that we need mercy. And what's interesting here is he uses the word, um, have mercy on me, but yet he is praying, in essence, for his daughter. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And we see this quite a bit throughout, throughout the scriptures. You have the, the demon, Satan, is very much so involved. I just found that interesting that it's on me, but yet he's also praying for others uh, and his family. Any th- or she, excuse me, she, I keep saying he, she is doing this. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the, the continued thought on this is... Um... Maybe the the deep hurt uh, that could have resulted. Thanks be to God that our our heavenly Father drew her into such faith. Because the beginning of this twenty three is that Jesus he didn't answer her a word. 
Um, I think a lot of our members, you know, looking at this pastorally are brought into some distress when it feels like God is silent in the midst of their suffering or God is silent in the midst of their prayers. But thanks be to God that that she wasn't led into that um, disbelief or unbelief um, because there are so many that are greatly troubled. It is troubling when it feels like God is being silent in the midst of our, our prayers or in the midst of our suffering. And this is where um, we see in verse 23, like you just said, but he did not answer her a word. Now, commentaries I've been reading on this are very, very, there, you know, there's some that will go really long into why he didn't say anything, but more or less, they're like, we just don't know. <laughs> just like you said, there's so much that we, so much times in teaching that you just simply, we just don't know. I mean, you're asking the question that God's not, for whatever reason, not giving us the answer. But then the disciples are like, hey, send her away for she is crying out after us. Um, what do you think is going on there? The, the disciples didn't say, get out of here. We can't take care of her, but they still want her to get out of there. Any thoughts? So, so the first part where, where it's like they, you know, when you said that some commentaries write maybe too much or some are honest and say, we don't know because God is being silent. And in the silence of God, we don't speculate. So I think that's a helpful thing to remind ourselves when God hasn't spoken, we don't try to fill in the answer. And instead, we, we leave it to the times where he has spoken clearly. So why did he, why is he silent here? We don't, we don't know. But we do know he will answer. Um, but uh, the disciples say, send her away. In the sense, not that, he, they, not that um, they're asking Jesus not to do anything for her, but they're kind of annoyed with her. So just give her what she wants so she'll stop annoying us. Um, and I think that's their perspective on the need of their neighbor, right? That she becomes an annoyance to them. So can you just give her what she wants so that, that she'll be going away? And that's, and that, and that's a distinctive distinctiveness from when Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. They're like, get out of here. We can't help them. But here they're just annoyed where they're like, just right. get out of here, do what she wants and get her out of here. And we don't know exactly why. Um, but they know that they just kind of want to move her along. Now, in normal stories that we think of Jesus, what happens here is that Jesus is like, no, don't hold her back. Bring her close to me, just like the children, you know? No, right. no, 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 let me, let me deal with the blind or let me deal with the, you know, the 5,000 or the 4,000. Let me, you know, have them come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. But Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> in verse right. 24, he says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Pastor, this is something that's going to like, you know, just throw people for a loop. What is Jesus doing here? What are your thoughts? So he, had, so again, when she addresses him, she addresses him as Lord. Yes. But then as the son of David. So as the son of David, who is he, who is he the king of? David is the king of Israel. Israel is God's chosen people, and through that chosen people, he has given his chosen king. And to that chosen king, David, he has given a promise that one of his descendants will sit on his throne forever. That, that's, that is Israel. He, this is, he's not, uh, and I know you're, you're not saying this, but he isn't lying. He's not deceiving her. He's not leading her astray. He is telling her the truth. He has been sent to this people. We'll see that when he says, I've been sent for this people, he is revealing God's plan, the Father's plan for the salvation, not only for Israel, but for the mankind. And we start seeing that in her responses and the back and forth, with, which then is commended, uh, her faith is commended, that she understands. Um, so she's not standing in the way of God's salvation, but calling um calling on God to do to do what he has called his son to fulfill because she knows her place within it um or she's uh, she's been brought to see that place within it um uh, so yes i i would say that Jesus statement is actually factually 
uh, quite accurate, right? Who has he called to be? He's been called to be the true son of Israel to save, uh, to save his remnant, to call out and to bring them back into being and to be that faithful son, to be that Israel reduced to one, to be the true um, faithful king. And, uh, and yeah, so he's being really factually honest here. Uh, but then we'll see that he might not, there, there's just a fullness to that sentence. Maybe the next half of the sentence, he just left off. Yeah, and it because we see this in Matthew ten when Jesus sends out the disciples. Like we see the the extension of this that Jesus did come for Israel. He is Israel reduced to one, like you said. And Jesus sent his disciples out only to the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew ten. And so, yeah, you're right. He's he's simply stating a fact. And how does that all connect with how we maybe predict Jesus would act? I think we're going to leave that in the space once again. We don't know because we could easily fill in that empty space by saying, oh, it's mean Jesus. This is the mean Jesus or this is a Jesus that doesn't care Jesus or something when we can't say that because it's not the end of the story yet. So that's very helpful the way you broke that down. He's stating a fact. So let's just leave it there and let's move on. So on that note, anything else before we move on? No, and I think, you know, if Luther does draw on us a little bit more that in this wrestling with with Jesus, he is drawing on her to make a confession of faith. And he is stating things which are true so that she then, um, at least he would say that she would then be drawn to continue to make this profession. So she's made a profession of faith. You're the Lord, you're the son of David, okay? I'm not and so there's a silence there. But then in that silence is called, she's drawn in, she is being drawn in. God is, we know, faith does this. The Father does this. He draws her closer to Jesus. She then continues to confess, help me. Well, I, I, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then they're continuing in this dialogue where more and more confession of faith is being drawn out of her, which is, which is good for her salvation. And it continues in verse 25, like you said, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And I really like how he, you know, because we, in our culture, to say, have mercy on me, like we kind of get it, you know, this kind of, you know, we hear that word, but Lord, help me makes total sense. And so she brings it almost down to our American level. We say it that way, but she makes it even more, like you said, he, she, she pulls out a confession that he's leading her, her towards. And just said, Lord, help me. She didn't say, but you're Jesus. You're supposed to help me. But you're Jesus. You're supposed to heal. Aren't you supposed to be doing this? She just simply confesses, Lord, help me. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and throughout this, he's going to be, so Jesus is being honest, like we said, as we would expect from Jesus, obviously. But um, he's being honest, too. Like he, he simply says, Lord, help me. He doesn't say, you know, my daughter's on the honor roll, and she does really good. She doesn't say, my, my family is um, a honorable family. We don't do the things like those other families do. She doesn't list out a list of rights and credentials why God is wrong for his silence or why God is wrong because, you know, he has allowed this to happen, which in the end is God's fault. No, she comes as she truly is, you know, empty-handed, totally as a beggar, and as a beggar, kneels before her Lord in worship and says, help me. And that's how we come. We come as nothing but a beggar to receive the gifts of Christ and and what a witness she is to us um, as we live out our Christian vocations, if you will. So uh, verse 26 and then Jesus speaks again. And, and, and I, just a warning here, too. I have to break down how I think Jesus should speak um, before I start, you know, before I got to let the text speak. And this is a very important piece of who we are as Christians, and especially here on KFUO. Our, you know, we believe that the scriptures are true. And so we're going to let the scriptures speak. And, and this one is one of those where 
not only is it kind of inter, it kind of hits, hits your ears a little bit uncomfortably, but at the same time, I think we focus on the wrong word in this next verse. So just a little warning before we get in, and I'd love to hear pastor's thoughts on this. Verse 26, and Jesus answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Pastor, what what word should we be focusing on in Jesus's words as we uh, as we kind of come off the cliff a little bit to under try to understand exactly what he's saying? How would you teach that to us? I I would teach it to our kids as it as it stands, which is really if you took it, let's take it let's take it ultimately, amazingly, literalistically, right? You have a child sitting in his or her um, high chair, right? And some, a lot of families have dogs, right? You go to the high chair and you're about to start feeding the child who needs to be fed. And instead of feeding the child, you take the plate from the child's, you know, high chair and you take it and you hand it off to the dogs underneath and the dogs gobble up the food. And so that child is left there starving. We would all look at that and be like, okay, let's take this child away. Obviously, the parents don't know what they're doing. Obviously, this is abusive. So in the just very clear, we can all look at that and say, yeah, that is the right thing to do. Now, where does this become (laughs) offensive? Well, it becomes offensive because he is saying it's not right for me to take what what is supposed to be given, supposed to be given to the children of Israel and give it to you. And yes, the implication is there that she is an unworthy dog, right? Um, as a Canaanite woman, as a Gentile, she is not worthy of the things her God has declared only to be given to the people of Israel. And that, that that's where it gets us. Yeah. And, and, and we, I love how you broke it down so, so beautifully. Like there's no, although we love our dogs, there's two things that we would be worried about in our world today is one, we're here to feed our kids more than our dogs. Secondly, why would you give them that kind of food? <laughs> That's an American fear. Like, wait, just give them dog food, you know? Right. Um, but even, even your biggest dog lover would not agree with, let's just not feed our children so we can feed our dog. Um, right. and, and that's not a rip on any, any dog owners or I love dogs and so forth. But, but here he's making just a very clear statement of fact. And I think sometimes we might just say, Jesus is calling her a dog. How dare him? How would you, how would you respond to that pastor? Right. And I, well, first things first, he is first addressing the Israelites as his children. Right. And that's just factually true that God has called out in his grace and mercy of people, of people who weren't a people, a per, people who were just reduced to one person to, to Abraham. And he called him all by grace, all by his mercy and said, you're going to be my people. And through you, I'm going to make a nation. And so he did. And, and, and he has. And that people became uh, known as the Israelites. And through that calling of Abraham, he continued its promise, which he started from Genesis 3.15, that salvation would come through a seed of a woman. And that promise of salvation through a birth of a son continues on through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's names obviously changed to Israel through the, the tribe of Israel, through Judah. And this promise continues on all the way then to the time of the kings to David and through his descendants, which leads us to Jesus. So when we first look at it, we have to understand that this is clearly laying out that God, in his mercy, looked at us who were, who were by nature all dogs, who were by nature unclean and sinful, and were by nature opposed to him. And he, in his love and mercy, called out from that and made, he did the work, he made them into his people. And this is a working out of that salvation. So he comes to feed his people. But we see here, <laughs> we see that this salvation has implications. And what are those implications, Pastor? 
So those implications then are laid out in verse 27. So he said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She knows that this is right. So she is not trying to stand in the way of God the Father's plan of saving his people. Because when she's holding on to this, I've got you. (laughs) I've got you, God. You are going to save your people. But when you do... You are working the salvation of all people through this one people, Israel. Yes, feed your people. Because when you feed your people, you feed in such abundance that the world will be satisfied. All people that look to you by faith will be fed. Yes, Lord, I am unworthy, but you are a person of grace. That's what that means. You take care of the unworthy. That's what grace is. You give, you give to those who do not deserve it. And I will agree with you, I don't deserve it. But those are the ones in whom you have come to serve. I will be fed when you feed your children. And it is interesting because you have, once again, we, we like to predict things in the Bible. And, and there's a lot of times, and I see this in Matthew, that it follows a normal course that we look at Jesus, he's a different kind of king than what we see in the Old Testament. He's a different kind of king than Herod. He's a different kind of king that deal with him and and Pilate when he goes to his crucifixion. He's different than all of that. And this one throws us for a loop, um, which is why, once again, we have to let the, the text speak. And she reacts differently than we would probably react ourselves. That if Jesus were to say us, you know, uh, it's not right to throw the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, we would instantly cling to that understanding of, Wait, are you calling me a dog? As Christians, let's just get honest here. As Christians, the answer would be, yeah. <laughs> that we don't deserve anything from the hand of the Lord. We don't deserve any of his goodness and mercy. And so it's good for us to be able to, when we say, Lord, have mercy, what we are saying is, is that we don't deserve any of this. And then I guess, you know, in that context, we are a dog. And, and this is the reality that we have to all live with and probably have to settle ourselves a little bit. But her reaction is one of faith. And that faith is really something that you're just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Let alone she's a Gentile, let alone she's a Canaanite, let alone she comes from an area that has not always been faithful. Um, and, and, and yet she speaks boldly compared to the Pharisees and even the disciples at time times where if Jesus were to confuse them like this, they would probably you know ruffle up their feathers and try to attack but not this woman. Any, any other thoughts on, on her humility, which is amazing? So, yeah, we should be drawn into such humili- humility, too. And the words that our Lord has given us to confess, when we're called to confess our sins, what do we say? We say, you know, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. I mean, what's worse, right, to say, yes, I'm a dog, or to say that I deserve to be sent to hell. I, I think we say this every week, don't we? I, I, we do, right? I am a poor, miserable sinner. So she is rightfully so confessing her sins to the Lord. She is being honest. She is coming with that truth that, Lord, yes, if I were here um, with a list of demands based on what I think of myself, then I am lost. But this, her whole stance is not about her rights or what is true for her or any of these statements we hear in our lives, right? In our modern world, she is standing solely on the nature of her God. I know you. And if I know you, then I gotcha. <laughs> That's what faith is. I'm going to hold on to who you are. Um, because you are grace and mercy. And that's, that's just uh, a wonderful way to pray. I'm just going to hold on to the promises that you have given me. She says in verse 27, yes, Lord, basically saying, you're right. Lord, you are right, which is kind of hard to believe. One of the, what it really connects well is previously in chapter 14 and right after this in chapter 15 is this understanding of, that the gifts of God, uh, like the bread that that Jesus 
uh, split into feed 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, how many ever it was, that he not only was able to feed the children of Israel, but that was so abundant that it overflowed into more baskets. And just get that vision, like you said, with a child at the table, that it's not like, oh, I'll take the plate and then I'll give it to the dog and you get nothing. It's more like there's so much food there that even that hungry, hungry little kid that can't stop eating cannot possibly eat it all. And it overflows over to the floor to the dogs, showing that God's abundant mercy and bread as the bread of life, his gifts of forgiveness, life and salvation is so abundant that it overflows and spills off into others so that even the dogs are able to eat more than enough. I thought that was wonderful. I read that in a commentary that it just really captures and it brings up to mind the feeding of the 5,000 and also after this, the 4,000. Any thoughts you have on the abundance of God's mercy and grace that he gives that extends out to the nations? Yeah, just like how you rightfully told us not to stumble over the word dog that we're not hearing the rest of it. Let's not stumble over the word crumb as if that's all that the Lord has to give us is crumbs. He knows something about his banquet, right? That he prepares a banquet in such abundance that the crumbs that he is so faithfully saying, I can I would be I would be over uh, overly satisfied on your crumb because they're not just the crumbs of this earth, right? They're not just the crumbs of what we think, but God's crumbs. What he says is, you know, is a crumb is, a, you know, is an overabundance beyond what we could ever imagine. So she is not, so again, just like you said, let's not get overly fixated on the word dog so that we won't listen to the great confession of sins and faith. Let's not get so fixated on crumbs like God is only going to give us just enough. No, no, no. His crumbs are, are the food of everlasting life. She's again pointing back to him, I know you and I know what you give. And I know your give, and so I will take what you give, because when you give it, I am saved. So let's hear Jesus once again. We have about two and a half minutes left in our time, and 28 brings it all back together. Then Jesus answered her, A woman, great is your faith! Exclamation point. Be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So Jesus, I mean, he ends it just like he ends other parts. Um, and he just, well, he does what what she asked. What? How would you, because we can easily misinterpret this as well. How would we interpret verse 28 faithfully? Yeah, so just like the centurion, as I said in chapter 8, it was commended for his greatness of faith, and she is commended. And that's such an unlikely and unexpected candidate for such faith. But this faith, is and has been, as we'll see in chapter 16, been worked by the Father, which really reveals who he is. It reveals who God is, that God worked faith in places where we thought were going to be unlikely and places where we thought would be unexpected. So it calls us all the more to share the faith to places where we think this is, this is unlikely and unexpected, but to share it, for he works the faith, right? And he um, hides it from the from the rich and the haughty and reveals it to the babies. This is what we have in the gospel. So when he commends her and says, great is your faith, we have to understand what is greatness of faith. Greatness of faith is not to commend that this faith exists in itself. Faith looks and clings to something. It clings to an object. So her faith is great because she clings, because her faith looks to Jesus and knows who Jesus is, which is Lord and the son of David. Her faith is great because it looks to and clings to what that Messiah, he is the Messiah, and who that Messiah really is, that he comes in such abundance that she too will be satisfied. That faith really reveals who she is. She is an Israelite. She is no longer a Canaanite on the outside. She is a true son of Abraham by faith. That's who she is because that's what her God has made her into. She, just like the Magi, the Centurion, are unlikely candidates for such faith. And I think we can see this in our own world, that people come to faith and, and, and you don't ever expect it. But yet, like you said, it gets revealed to us by the Father through the Son. 
and we see God at work. Pastor, we have a minute left in our time. How would you encourage and summarize our just wonderful story, true story of Scripture to our listeners today? Yeah, I would say, you know, as we look to her and say, you're an unlikely candidate, unexpected. That's every one of us. I'm an unlikely and an unexpected candidate to have received and been given such faith. But my Heavenly Father has looked upon me in grace and mercy, has picked me up and taken me to the waters to be baptized, and in those waters He has given me His Son. He has brought me to His table, an unlikely and unexpected person to be there at the table of the Most High. But there I say it, and there He feeds me, for at His table there is an abundance And there at his table, I am satisfied. Forgiveness, life, and salvation, I am satisfied in his son, who is my savior. He is mercy for me. And it's also true for you. As you gather to his table, there he feeds you an everlasting life. Come and be satisfied. Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 15. Pastor Shank, thank you for your patience this morning, and thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Fender, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for your patience, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>